Thank you for joining me for Soulful Conversations with my community of fellow travelers, exploring the heart, the mind, and the globe. These conversations highlight what travel really means for the world. Soul of Travel honors the passion and dedication of the people making a positive impact in tourism. Each week, I'll be speaking to women who are tourism professionals, world travelers, and leaders in their communities. We'll explore how travel has changed them and how that has rippled out and inspired them to change the world. These conversations are as much about travel as they are about passion and living life with purpose, chasing dreams, building businesses, and having the desire to make the world a better place. This is a community of people who know travel is more than a vacation. It is an opportunity for personal awareness, and it is a vehicle for change. We are thought leaders, action takers, and heart-centered change makers. I'm Christine weinbrenner Eirich, and this is The Soul of Travel. I am so filled with happiness to be bringing this conversation to you today. We get to talk to one of my favorite humans. While we are still really getting to know each other, we are deeply connected in our personal missions and what we vision for the world. Sarah Ray is the Principal Consultant at NEMA Development. She has worked in social enterprise and international development since 2008 when she co-founded Yobel Market as a means of promoting global artisans. Recognizing a pervasive need for in-depth entrepreneurial training in developing communities, Sarah created the first of several low-barrier business training curricula in 2012 and has since offered her programs to thousands of emerging businesses around the world. In our conversation, she shares the powerful year-long journey that was a catalyst for all of the work she does now. Sarah desires to see all of humanity liberated from that which holds us captive, whether the bonds be physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. We talk more in depth about her business, its impact, and how we can all give better and bring communities into the process of creating solutions. Her love for and faith in humanity always brings me great comfort. I hope she brings this light to you here. Join me now for my soulful conversation with Sarah Ray. Welcome to Soul of Travel. I am so grateful and feeling blessed to be sitting down to speak with Sarah Ray today. Um, she is the principal consultant at NEMA Development, and uh, she has worked in social enterprise and international development since 2008 when she co-founded Yobel Market, which was created as a means to promote global artisans. And that is actually how we connected um, we were both working in the space of working with artisans and fair trade artisans around the world and immediately connected on what it means to be engaged in community and empowering women that way and have just kind of kept track of each other over the years. And so I'm so excited, Sarah, to have you here today to talk about the work that you do. So welcome to Soul of Travel. Thank you, Christine. I feel so honored to be here and to be speaking with you today. 
and just love your heart and your company and the way that you connect women in travel um, with women all around the world and help to create a community of just soulful and mindful individuals living lives in relationships. So just glad to be stepping further into that community with you today. Thank you so much. Well, as we begin our conversation, I would love to just give you the space to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit more about NEMA development. And then um, from there, we'll explore more in depth the work that you do. Sure. Thank you. As Christine mentioned, I am the founder and principal consultant of NEMA Development. It's a company that has been around for about three to four years now, but was really birthed out of the experience I have been privileged to have since 2008 of working internationally alongside developing communities to help encourage entrepreneurship and income generation and means to be able to sustainably leave poverty, but also dream big dreams for the sake of their lives, their families, their communities, and come alongside of those dreams and help to brainstorm and equip and provide resources that would allow those dreams to come to fruition in different places. So after doing that through fair trade and equitable trade, For a number of years, I was able to also work to bring entrepreneurial training to a number of different communities and to create curriculum and programs that would inspire entrepreneurship and provide skills and education and resources that aren't as easily accessed by many, many people around the world who are extremely gifted at entrepreneurship and just need a few extra tools to be able to step out and be successful in business that will provide not only sustainably for themselves and their families, but also create jobs in their communities and bring goods and services that are needed to some of those far-flung places that will help increase development. So after doing that for a number of years uh, within the business world and the nonprofit world, I decided to take some of the skills that I had gained through that and then offer them as a consultant to other grassroots nonprofits and social enterprises that are seeking to do similar things and are doing great work all around the world and maybe want to add an entrepreneurship component to what they already do in the realm of partnering with local communities. So that's kind of me vocationally. As a person, I live here in Colorado and have been here for 16 years. Love my mountain life. I'm so thankful to get to live here. Uh, I'm a wife and a mother of a darling, adventuresome, traveling little six-year-old boy. And yeah, I'm just really, really thankful for what I get to be a part of on a regular basis. Thank you for that introduction. I was uh, thinking about how many people who travel end up you know, as we're exploring, we really discover the stories of the world, right? And so many of us, once we create connections with community, I think that leads to this heart-driven, passion-driven, human-driven work. And so I would love for you to share kind of how travel found you, how you began exploring, and then when you had the, when this spark, I guess, ignited for you that this is the work and how you wanted to show up in the world. Yeah, thank you. 
it's a fun story. I'm a small town Missouri girl. So I grew up in the cornfields of a 2000 person farming community and nobody I knew went anywhere ever <laughs> growing up. And I think uh, I'm a firstborn. And so I think I have a little bit of that adventurous risk taking just innately in me. And I had really supportive parents, which I'm really grateful for. And so uh, my junior year of college, I remember having this very aha moment, like got struck by lightning and realized like, I need to travel the year after I graduate. I'm just, I just do, I'm meant to do it. And I had been studying the work of Mother Teresa in one of my classes in school and just was so challenged by her willingness to give her life away to others and to move far away from her home in Romania to Calcutta, India, and just be there and immerse her life in, in a new culture and in new people in order to help the least of these, as she would say. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll do what she did. Maybe I'll go to India. And so I actually, at that time, like this was before email was, was really a consistent thing. I wrote a letter to uh, the missionaries of charity in Calcutta, India, and was like, can I just come next year and serve with you? And I didn't know what would happen. I got a letter back a month later that was typed on like an old school typewriter, mailed to me in the mail from the missionaries of charity that said, yes, you can come. And if you show up at this bus stop on this day of the week, someone will pick you up. And I was like, okay, that's my plan. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go as a 21-year-old single girl to India and show up at this bus stop. <laughs> and thankfully, that didn't end up being my path. I look back at that now and think I was crazy. But um, I have gone there since then. And it was it was transformative for me. But um, I actually ended up meeting two wonderful women through a backpacking organization. I was a backpacking guide during the summers in college, which is what how I eventually made it out here to Colorado. And I met two other girls who were doing that. And they had already put together an around-the-world trip uh, for the next year. And they invited me to join their trip. And so I got to go to five different nations in Eastern Africa and just serve alongside different organizations that were doing relief work or development work or humanitarian work in the different places. And then we went to Southeast Asia for a couple of months. And then we finished up in Australia and New Zealand and backpacked around. And it was just for a girl from Missouri uh, to go at 21 and get to experience all of that completely changed the person that I was. And I think two of the pivotal takeaways from that trip for me were one, like I came in thinking, you know, I had so much to offer. And I quickly realized uh, sitting in a hut in, you know, Uganda, uh, working with AIDS orphans and coming alongside an amazingly run indigenous organization that really like I knew nothing. And I did not have much to offer anyone in that situation. They had so much to teach and offer me but I really had so much to learn and to gain in relationship and in friendship. And I'm still good friends and in relationship with some of the people that I met that first month, almost 20 years ago. Well, yeah, almost 20 years ago. So I'm so thankful. Like what I took away was relationships and just a little bit more humility about what I really could bring to the table in different parts of the world um, as someone who wanted to be a helper. 
So that was the start for me of just having my life shaped and changed by adventure and beauty and relationships born out of travel. And I came home and really struggled with some of the things I saw on that trip. I mean, the depth of poverty and disease, but also joy and resilience in the midst of trial. In Thailand, we encountered, because we were on a really high budget trip. Um, we were staying in a really inexpensive area in Bangkok and um, and also along the beach somewhere. And we woke up one day in our cheap hostel and recognized like we were in the middle of a red light district. And I had never in my life heard about the commercial sex trade at that point. No one had spoken to me about that. I'd never heard the term human trafficking and we woke up and just saw it and and then saw it every single day for the 30 days we were in Thailand and i was just so broken <laughs> by that experience we my girlfriend and i like cried every every day of that trip and i in my heart was like one thing like god if there is anything in my life that i could be used for i want to see an end to this like i want to see people set free and two, I don't ever want to come back to Thailand again. <laughs> and thankfully, I um, have gotten to go back to Thailand several times since then with organizations that actually are working in the anti-human trafficking space. And it's been really redemptive for me. And I've been able to see the country for its beauty and its culture and its people. And it's just an amazing place. But yeah, the, that initial trip when I was 21 has fed into the work that I'm a part of now, which is I want to see I want to see people set free from what holds them captive. And so often poverty is the root of those injustices that lead towards captivity for many people and um, captivity in many different forms, not just in the form of slavery, but being held captive by gender inequity or being held captive by oppressive systems of government or being held captive by, by poverty in the way that it limits us or being held captive by disease that could be avoided or whatever it happens to be. So I would say that that trip launched for me so many of the things that I do now because I came home and with the question of like, now I've seen, now I have a responsibility, now I know what am I meant to do with that knowledge, how am I meant to respond with what I, what I am aware of at this point. So. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I, before we hopped on here, I told you, I was not going to gush at how amazing that I think you are and how I just want you to share your story, but I'm like right back to that moment. But I really appreciate you painting that picture I also grew up in a small, less than 2,000 person town in Montana. And so I really resonate with who you were when you started that journey. And it's why I am so deeply passionate about people traveling. It's so much more, and I say this all the time, it's so much more than a vacation. It's so much more than an escape from reality. It's this immersion in humanity. And that is what I, I want people to experience. And like you mentioned, it's, it's not always easy. It's not meant to be easy, right? It's to really meet people where they are. You're going to be challenged and it's going to be uncomfortable, but that the person you become through that process is who we need 
to have in this world. So I really appreciate you sharing that journey and allowing listeners to really experience that with you, because I think it it really just does show how travel shapes us and sets us on this path to really create change in the world. And it's such a perfect example of the power of that experience. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. It's a gift. Well, to go a little bit more into the work that you do, I wanted to start. And um, for those of you listening, uh, we just were, before we hopped on here, I was talking about some of the other similarities in our businesses. And actually, before I even go there, for me, this also started in a hut in in uh, Uganda. And I don't know if we've ever connected on that, but mm-hmm. I was sitting with a group of women in this village. I don't even know where I was in Uganda. Like we had driven so far on a Jeep and got off a road and got off off the off the road and still we're going and sitting with this community of women and them sharing their stories, sharing um, goods that they had in their homes and probably much like you, like thinking, who is buying these amazing products? How can I connect these brilliant artisans and entrepreneurs and and village leaders and community leaders with others. And like that just started me thinking about what that gap was. And I spent a lot of time in that space. So like we have a very similar, like, I don't know, very similar and aligned paths. So I'm so thankful for those experiences in Uganda. Also like sitting there thinking, you know, much like you, like, oh, I have all this knowledge to give and I'm so excited to be here and like so quickly learning, like I have no knowledge to give and I'm so grateful to be here to receive what I can be taught. And um, it's a really beautiful moment. Again, it's something that's probably painful, uncomfortable for some people to like have that very, um, shift that super shift in perception. Like we're very much taught in our culture that we do have the answers. We have the best way of living and we should take that forth and bring it to everyone else. And to realize the falseness of that story is really beautiful, I think. And so important again, and this happens through travel and traveling in that way where you really become immersed. So I digress, but I really felt a connection to that part of your story. In our businesses, we both happen to have these names that we are really invested in that tell a part of our story, as well as a flower that is a part of like our brand. Um, So I wanted to start with what Nima means and why you chose that when you launched your business or your enterprise. Yeah, thank you. Nima means grace in Swahili. And I love Swahili just because it's, I've spent so, so much time in Eastern Africa. And I just think it's such a beautiful language and such a great combination of cultures too. So I I love names that have meaning. I love names that have connection and I love names that are unique. And so I was just thinking through what, what really matters, what's at the core of my consulting company. And it's the reality that we've already both just spoken about that it's not so much about what we can offer and bring, but it's the reality that we all have something to bring to the table. We all have a need for one another. So when I think about grace, I think about the reality that I can't do it alone, even as a consultant, you know, someone might 
hire you to come in and help solve a problem or help think through strategy. But even in that, it's a collaborative process. And I'm drawing from sources outside of myself in order to offer the best that I possibly can to someone else. And so that's a lot of what spurred on that name. And then the poppy symbol flower, again, I just felt like I was given that. I I love the poppy and I always have. But then as I was looking into more about it, I realized that it is called, it's referred to as the drought escaper um, because it's a flower that is very drought resistant. It grows in areas that are really harsh, harsh environments, and that don't always receive a lot of rainfall. And yet when it does rain, the poppy quickly comes to life and it blooms this beautiful, vibrant, colorful bloom that you can't mistake. You, you are drawn to it. And then it quickly scatters its seeds far and wide. And those seeds lie there dormant until the rains come again. And so that felt really symbolic to me of so many of the people that I have had the honor of working with and coming alongside that they hold this immense, beautiful gift inside of themselves and potential. And in a lot of ways, they're just waiting to be watered with the right opportunity or the right tool. And when they are, then they quickly come to just this explosion of life and vibrancy. And then um, they don't keep it to themselves, right? They then take what they've received and they scatter it to the benefit of others to produce new life. And so um, really the poppy is an honor of the people that I get to work with all around the world that I feel so privileged to know. Hi, it's Christine interrupting this episode for just a moment to make sure you know you still have time to join our 2022 Lotus Book Sojourn. This is a unique journey exploring the heart, the mind, and the globe through the pages of nine specially selected books written by inspiring female authors. Your journey includes two guided virtual discussions each month with a community of like-hearted women, as well as weekly journaling prompts and reflection, and an assigned travel companion for each book in the journey. Last year, women said this was one of the most surprising and impactful experiences they had. Join us for rich discussion, meaningful connection, and an opportunity for exploration from the comfort of your home or wherever you might be in 2022. Your next opportunity to join us is in April for a three or six month experience. Visit the website at lotussojourns.com backslash book sojourn to join today. Now back to our soulful conversation. Thank you. That is so beautiful. And I just, I love that it just, it just beautifully translates that relationship into this image. And so I just think that it's so cool when people have that much uh, thought and connection to their brand that, I mean, this is what I think is unique about the people I know and the work that we're doing is that it's, it comes from our soul. It's not, it's like, there's no other choice really. So we're so deeply connected. And I think that that just really speaks to that level of connection. So thank you so much for sharing that. I know that for you, you have really been drawn to working with entrepreneurs 
And it's been very driven by community, um, been driven by the people that you're working with and that you are really passionate about these partnerships and these connections. And so I would love to talk about how you began to understand this need for entrepreneurial training in developing communities. And I know that you created what is really um, a low barrier business training curriculum, which I think is really important because of what that means for the people that you're working with. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. I always say that I came into this work by accident. It wasn't anything I ever thought I would be doing or planned to do. I took one business class in college and I was really bored. And so it's not what I pictured. (laughs) But again, that trip, that first trip and the relationships I built and the question afterwards of how do I respond? I was invited to return to Uganda to that same group of people later by um, some high school kids, actually, that I was mentoring here in Colorado that wanted me to take them. And so we went back. And at that point, um, I had learned a lot more about the civil war in northern Uganda and um, the LRA and just the devastation that people had experienced as a result of that and got to visit a community that was Uh, It was opened up, I I should say, by two of my Ugandan friends from that first trip where they had opened 500 acres of their family land to allow fellow tribesmen and women to come and resettle in a place of safety and rebuild their lives. And it was just such a beautiful, hopeful, redemptive place. And yet uh, it was in its infancy. And the people who had come had fled by foot with children, you know, tied to their backs, um, often had lost a spouse or uh, several children and were just in such a, tr- just a place of having experienced so much immense trauma and having to start their lives over from the ground up, like literally digging their house out of the dirt, digging their food out of the dirt, didn't have shoes, didn't have clothes, and they were um, struggling. And so you know, I'm 24 at this point and I say, okay, what is it that you most need? Like if, if I were able to come alongside you in some way, what do you need? Cause I don't, I don't know what you need. And their answer surprised me at the time. And now I've learned that it's, it's more common than I once believed because many places I'd gone, I just, I had been asked for money. Like I expected that to be their answer, frankly. And instead they said, we need jobs. And we need a way to put our kids in school so that they can have a hopeful future. And that was the light bulb moment for me of that's it. That's that's how I can respond. Uh, that makes perfect sense because it's number one, it's what we all need. We all need a way to provide for ourselves, working a job that has dignity, hopefully working a job that we care about and can draw life from and offer something to the world. And then we need a way to provide for our kids and to see them have a hopeful future. And so I resonated deeply with that request and, and then also just thought like, okay, that's something I, I might be able to do. <laughs> so um, I came home and met up with a guy, had a similar experience on a different trip with a different group of women who asked him for the same thing. And the two of us happened to know each other. And so we had one coffee conversation and after that we're business partners and we just put in our weekend tip money from waiting tables and said, let's fund a grant to this community in Northern Uganda to help them get started producing products that they can then market for a fair wage. 
And so that was the beginning of Yobo Market, and it just grew and grew very quickly. Um, I think because it was at the beginning of that fair trade movement, people were excited to get on board with it. Um, and after doing kind of fair trade work with artisans for about five years, we started to see some similar kind of gaps in just where communities could go um, and what they could realize for themselves even being a part of a fair trade initiative. So, you know, by buying products from them consistently and paying a fair wage, we were able to help them increase their income, but we didn't feel like we were able to fully help them gain the kind of independence that they would want for themselves um, because they were ultimately still dependent on us to place orders and purchase jewelry and sell it for on their behalf. And so we wanted to encourage more of an entrepreneurial mindset. And we also wanted to see their communities develop. And so by buying their products and then exporting them to the United States or importing them, we were essentially not encouraging them to invest in their own community with goods and services in a way that would bring that community further along as well. So we decided to look for an entrepreneurial curriculum. So we found one and we licensed it and did a pilot course with the same community in Uganda um, that we had been working with for five years. And we told them, you know, when we're coming, we can't, we only have resources and time and room to train 35 people. And we're going to be here for a week and just do a, a week-long training with this material. And we showed up the first day of class and there were 60 people crammed in this tiny, tiny room. And they got there two hours before us, which is just, I mean, if you've traveled and you've heard, you know, words like Africa time or whatever, you know, things typically start later than what you think, but they were there two hours before because they were so eager to receive the knowledge. And that is what we find in almost every place that I've gone since and said, Hey, we're going to offer business training. Who's interested. And it's like the whole village turns out. Everybody wants business skills because there's so much hope in that um, to be able to provide for themselves. And so from that first business training class of 60 people, we saw 17 local businesses begin that weren't there prior. Um, And when we came back a year later, I think they were all, for the most part, still in business and had grown or expanded in some capacity. And it was things like, you know, bicycle repair shops and little, you know, stationary shops for school supplies and tailoring shops and barber shops and little takeout food shops. And one guy started a movie theater in this little seven by five room where he would show films on a, bit, a generator three times a day. And it was just so fun to see people's creativity and to then know that the community was benefiting and that their income was going to be more stable because they were drawing from a local source that had consistent demand. Whereas our market in the US for luxury and commodity items just ebbs and flows and it's constantly changing. And we have to come out with new styles every six months to keep up with demand. It just felt like our market was fickle and I never knew what would happen if we went out of business. And knowing now that they had the skills to be able to start their own business locally took that weight off my shoulders, but also just empowered them to really be able to shape their own futures and and have more autonomy over that. And also to recognize that not everybody's an artisan. So, you know, having a fair trade market, I could only employ people who wanted to do crafts and, um, and felt like that was something that they could be a part of. And 
by teaching people business, it was like, we could think more about who are you as an individual, what amazing gifts and talents and skills are inside of you. And how do we encourage those things to come to life to the benefit of your family and your community? Yeah. Um, it's so amazing to, to hear that journey, um, again, because there's so many points of resonance for me, but when you talk about the businesses that they created, if you were coming in as maybe this outside expert, you would have never have thought of those businesses, right? Like we, we don't, we don't know the needs of this community or like you said, the passion. I mean, we probably certainly wouldn't have suggested a movie theater. I mean, (laughs) which is so incredible. Then you get to see this creativity that is born. And like you said, everyone, is so excited. They're personally invested. And um, when you look at, like you said, the exporting and the volatility in that, um, I'm really linking that to tourism right now, right? Because Mm -hmm. all of these communities that did become invested in tourism are very much in the same situation. Now their consumers are not able to travel. They're not able to support them. And so they created these businesses, but they were for someone else. And so I love thinking about how the work that you're doing is allowing these communities to rely upon one another. And um, I, I know there's so many travel companies who have tried to merge these two ideas together so that while you're creating something that may serve a, a tourist, it's also fully serving the community. And even from the story that you told, like as a traveler, me getting to come and see this bike shop and this movie theater and visiting, you know, an entrepreneur that started this other business, for me, that would be such a valuable experience. And it's not taking away from how their community is already existing. It's not creating something simply for me. I'm just getting to experience their life through their experiences. So I love that image and and that way of looking at what we're offering. And I think that um, that ties so well into another part of what I wanted to speak to you about is talking about how we can invest and support local communities better. Because as we do travel, much like you, we're greatly impacted by what we're seeing. And as humans, we definitely want to give back. We want to find a way to create an impact. And we often operate within existing structures that are very um, uh, one-sided giving. They're not necessarily, like while they may be heart-centered or of the best intention, we're not looking at it from a community perspective and we're also doing it from often from a place of wanting to make ourselves feel better about what we saw. And um, again, not, not chastising anyone for having that response. That's I think 100% real and human, but we're not always thinking about what's happening after the giving and what that is really the long-term impact on a community. So I would love for you to talk about what it's like to give better, to follow the leadership of communities um, in that giving and process and making it a more um, even and and real, uh, something that is of real impact. Yeah. 
That's great. And I would honestly love to hear your perspective on that too, because insofar as the travel world goes and how travelers can intersect, whether it's during a journey or after a journey based on how they've been impacted by their time in a particular place or with a particular people, I think that you are by far the expert in that, (laughs) in that realm. As far as, you know, giving opportunities or investing opportunities within different communities that we might intersect with or have a special connection to. Um, I mean, of course, the way we travel is so important, right? And how, which places we choose to stay and how we choose to tread and walk while we're in a place says a lot and, and impacts in greater concentric circles than we can probably imagine. Um, so, and I would, I know that you can speak to that much better than I can, Christine. But when I think about how to intersect with a community in a way that might be um, helpful, I first just think about um, how can we have a mutually transformative relationship in this scenario? So, I believe that we're all meant to learn and receive and give toward each other in a give and take sort of fashion. And so I think having that mindset of, first of all, what what do I have to learn while I'm here? What am I meant to receive? How am I meant to change in my perspective or my knowledge or understanding? And then two, how can I come alongside, I think, and understand what is it that this community dreams of and desires of for themselves and asking good questions about that is what are your dreams for the future? What are your goals? What do you see as your greatest community needs? Um, And then thinking through who's the hero of the story. You know, I think in, in the past, sometimes there's been a tendency in humanitarian work to almost make the humanitarian, the hero. And I think that narrative is shifting thankfully. And, um, really the hero of the story is is the community themselves. And how do we elevate elevate them in our own perspective to say, um, how do we help them realize their own goals? Like how, and and how do we encourage them in that and, and be the people who come alongside and say, yes, you can, you can achieve that thing. Um, And then I think it comes the most sustainable um, aid efforts or partnership efforts, whatever word you want to lo- use in that, um, are truly those who are focused on capacity building and looking down the road to what is the long-term effect of the choice or um, connection that I'm making right now. And so always being willing to ask that question of, of what will be the impact of this action on this community long-term and what what will this communicate to this community long term? And how do we invest in things that are ultimately geared towards allowing this community to receive the skills and the opportunities that they need to be able to achieve and affect change for themselves that they um, envision for themselves? And, and yeah, stepping in where it seems like uh, we're able to lend a hand in those areas or connect resources in those areas or bring opportunities to learn new skills in those areas uh, seem to be the most, I think, respectful and um, dignified ways that we can invest in a 
in a community that we seek to partner with or come alongside. And that doesn't discount that there's always a need for, you know, aid in different parts of the world that are really suffering and struggling. And in in that regard, I think um, you're not always thinking about the long term, you're thinking about the immediate need to save lives. But oftentimes, I don't think we're intersecting as much with those areas as we travel. And so if those, you know, if aid is on your heart, then I just recommend finding a really reputable organization that's doing good work and investing with them because they're the experts in that regard. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think it just comes down to, um, you know, so much as what you're saying is, is letting the communities be in the driver's seat for their growth and their development and for the entrepreneurs, for, you know, greater communities, for families. And I think when you look at it from a travel lens, the same thing can be done if you are working in an area where tourism maybe isn't already developed, or even if it is a popular destination, actually taking the time to meet with community leaders and saying, like, what do you want travel to look like? What does tourism look like here? How would you like to receive guests? Would you even like to receive guests? Um, And then building from that place up. Because then just much like you said, then we can say, okay, great. This structure is already in place. Here's where you could use support. Here's where maybe a grant would be helpful in achieving this goal. And then you're building something together that's going to have more longevity. And you also then have a community who's really invested in tourism because in travel, it sometimes can become very one-sided and extractive and the travel it's much for the traveler benefit, but not always for the community benefit. And um, then the community, rightfully so, is less inclined to be excited about engaging in tourism or just because they're dependent on it, they're engaged in it, but it's not coming from this place of authentic passion or purpose. And so I think um, there's just so much in the similarities in the ways that we can approach this both from um, creating community development and bringing tourism to communities. So um, thank you for kind of walking us through that and being able to create those parallels. I think before, before we end, I'm just wondering um, in terms of the work that you do, obviously so much of it is in the field. How has the pandemic reshaped the work that you're doing um, when you haven't been able to be in the field? Has anything surprising come out of not being able to be there when that's so much a part of your process? Yeah, thank you. It has been a huge shift. It has felt like, I think initially, you know, I just, you don't, we didn't know how long this was going to last. So you just sort of push pause for a little while and Um, And then as we kind of saw that, okay, this is going to be around a little bit longer than we thought, then um, I started brainstorming, how can we continue to empower communities with entrepreneurship um, when I can't be there in person? And so it's been fun. I've been getting to learn new platforms and, you know, of course, Zoom has transformed all of our lives, mostly for the better. And so I've started offering an online train the trainers course to teach uh, leaders in different areas of the world or teach leaders of development-minded NGOs here in the United States how they can use the curriculum that I've written to teach business uh, within their own communities. And 
the fun part about that has been, you know, getting to gather like-minded individuals and, and community leaders, organizational leaders from all over the place into a call every week for, we do it for eight weeks and get to know each other and get to know each other's organizations and work, and then um, be able to encourage each other and brainstorm together. And, you know, those that are on the ground are able to take the material then after, after the training and be able to implement it almost right away. I have two of those groups from this fall's course that are starting their entrepreneurial training courses this January, which is really exciting. Uh, Well, one's in January and I think one is in February. So it's just fun to see that being able to happen, even though I'm not able to go and train in person anymore and, and looking forward to teaching another one of those classes this coming spring. So that's been one thing. And then I think the other thing has just been that, oh, I, I can help nonprofits who are based here with other things that I know how to do that maybe aren't my major, but they're things that I've picked up along the way that can help others be able to be more effective in their programming or build out something new that maybe they didn't have before or think about measurement and evaluation in a new way or uh, create content and messaging that's a little bit clearer for their support base. So I've just been picking up those jobs consulting as well. And that's not something that I would have expected, but it's actually been really fun and great to build relationships with organizations I wouldn't have gotten to know otherwise. I think that um, also that speaks to the spirit of collaboration that has risen throughout this period of time as well. So I imagine just the um, the ways that you can support each other when you bring those different organizations together, not that they would have been in competition before, but because mm-hmm. they can be in collaboration, all of a sudden there's new things that they're going to be able to bring to their communities and new ways that they're going to be able to grow and support which they might not have done in isolation. And so I think I've seen throughout the tourism industry, definitely that, but it would be interesting that that's probably also occurring amongst these people as well that you're working with. That's a great point. Yeah, that's that has been such a beautiful thing that has come from this time. And I love that that's happening in the tourism industry too. That's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I think both of us, we have such this like, deep belief in humanity. And this just like shows us that it's true. Like maybe that it's not just in our hearts as this possibility, but I think we're seeing it. And for me, that's been really exciting to just be like, okay, I think, I think we've got this, like, there's a lot of parts that are dark, but there's a lot of parts that are light. And so I think that's been, been really amazing to see. Yeah. And we'll always have that, the light and the dark coexisting together. And learning how to live in that tension of both and is really, really critical to continue to maintain hope and belief in uh, a good future. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. I know that our listeners will have learned so much and have been inspired by your work and um, what we've been able to bring together between this entrepreneurial path and community development and even tourism development. Um, Before we end our conversation, um, one or two last things. One is I'd like you to share how people can learn more about working with you or if they are a nonprofit who would like to learn about this training and what that might mean for them. And then lastly is my um, rapid fire-ish questions that we'll end our conversation with. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. If people are interested in connecting with me 
in the realm of startup or messaging or content development or curriculum development, I'd love for you to check out my website first. Then you can kind of get a feel for what I offer and others who have worked with me and what they have to say, as well as if you're needing entrepreneurial training or curriculum for developing communities, then I have uh, that available to look through on my website also. And that's just nemadevelopment.com. And uh, you can email me too at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H at nemadevelopment.com. And uh, there's a button at the bottom if you want to set up a time to just chat through where you are in an, as an organization, nonprofit or social enterprise and what you're looking to do. Uh, we can chat for you know an hour at some point and we can just get to know each other and see if there's a collaboration potential in the future. And I would love to love to hear from you. Thank you so much for offering that and sharing sharing about that. Okay, so seven questions here. Uh, what is your favorite book or movie that offers you travel a travel escape or inspires adventure? The what is the name of it? What's the first part? The Marigold Hotel movie. What is the okay. beginning part of that? The yeah. Magnificent or the Fantastic Marigold Hotel? I'm getting it wrong. I know, yeah. but it's about the Marigold Hotel in India. I absolutely adore that movie. Yeah, that is a really, yes, I agree. There's just so much um, exotic, the exotic yes. Marigold Hotel. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> That's okay. I love that. The story of that and the feel of being immersed in that movie just feels, it does. It totally feels like you're traveling or you feel like you're such a part of the story. Uh, what is always in your suitcase or backpack when you travel? Snacks. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> always, always snacks. Um, activated charcoal is my best travel hack for tummy issues of any kind. It just helps prevent things from happening. Um, a good handy travel like scarf or wrap that I can use in a myriad of ways. I'm starting to get prissy. And if I can fit a pillow like in my suitcase, I do now. This makes me feel very old, but it is. <laughs> I'm learning that the pillow can make or break the sleep. And if I can sleep well, then I can offer a better, um, a better version of myself the next day. So yeah, those I are probably can, my like four things. I can totally relate to all those things and activated charcoal is everything when you're traveling to places <laughs> where stomach issues are likely to happen. <laughs> I just learned about it like three years ago and I'm like, where has this been all my life? Yeah. Um, let's see, where is your, what has been your favorite destination? I thought of this earlier when you were talking about people and like how those intersections with people are what really make a place special to us. And so Uganda is it for me because of the people and the relationships. I've been there 14 times, I think so far. Um, and if I had like a favorite like destination in Uganda, just for like one of the best days of my life is rafting the Nile river is like one of my favorite things. And if you ever get a chance to do it, please say yes to that adventure. It is just the best. When I was there, because I was so jet lagged, I didn't know where I was. I didn't oh. know who I was and I could not find the bus that was supposed to be taking me there from the conference that I was at. So I have it on my list for when I, when I go back next time, but yes. Uh, let's see. Where do you still long to visit? Morocco, Turkey, Greece, South Africa, Tunisia, Jordan. Yes. 
yeah, we have a lot of similar, similar places. It's all kind of in the same area. That could be, that could be one big, just beautiful journey. Um, what do you eat that immediately connects you to a place that you've been? Usually like any kind of Thai curry, like a Penang curry or, um, like that soup, Tom Kagai, that coconut lemongrass chicken soup. Oh my goodness. Every time. Yeah. And to eat Thai food in Thailand is just, that was like my, my, I mean, heaven every day. You're like, oh, I just will eat Thai food today. And it's so good. Yes. Um, it's amazing. Who was the person that inspired or encouraged you to set out and explore the world? Mother Teresa. <laughs> my friend Kelly, probably. I mean, she's the one who really built and put together that first trip that I went on. And without her and her like amazing administrative skills and relational skills, I don't, that trip would not have happened. Um, that sounds so amazing. I, I hope that my girls find that person when they graduate from college. Well, I plan to travel with them. So they may be that person, but yes. if you could take an adventure with one person, fictional or real, uh, alive or past, who would it be? Oh, wow. You know, I think I just want to take a, an, a really amazing trip with my future son. Like, I mean, he's six now and we do travel together, but like, I really hope we have the kind of relationship, like you're saying with your daughters, that when he's 16 or 17, that we, or older, whatever, that we could just do a wild around the world trip adventure based on like who he is and what he loves. Yeah. And how fun to get to think about who that might be um, based on the experiences that he'll have. Well, thank you so, so, so much. Um, I'm I'm sure that anyone listening is going to be just as deeply inspired by you as I am, but I thank you so much for spending this time and sharing your journey with us today. Yeah. The feeling is mutual so much, Christine. Thanks for the opportunity and the gift of the time. I really appreciate it and appreciate your community. So welcome. Thank you for listening to The Soul of Travel. I hope you enjoyed the journey. If you love this conversation, I encourage you to subscribe, rate the podcast, and share the episodes that inspire you with others. I am so proud of the way these conversations are bringing together people from around the world. If this sounds like your community, welcome. I am so happy you are here. You can find all the ways you can be a part of the Soul of Travel and Lotus Sojourns community at www.lotussojourns.com. Here you can learn more about Soul of Travel and my guests. You can see details about the transformational sojourns I guide for women, as well as my book Sojourn, which offers an opportunity to explore your heart, mind, and the world through the pages of books specially selected to create a unique journey. I am all about community and would love to connect. You can find me on Facebook at Lotus Sojourns and join our community, the Lotus Sojourns Collective, or follow me on Instagram, either at Lotus Sojourns or at Soul of Travel Podcast. Stay up to date by joining the Lotus Sojourns mailing list. I look forward to getting to know you and hopefully hear your story. Mm-hmm.